nothing we can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. This is an economy of one. Your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given. It must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. This is our country. Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, aneconomyofone.com, aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook, An Economy of One on Facebook. Well, you got to admit. Got to admit, it's been an interesting week, eh? I think everybody and their brother was surprised by Tuesday's outcome. I think the only people that weren't surprised were probably Donald Trump and his kids. I think that, well, I know everybody was expecting Hillary Clinton to win the presidency, including Hillary. It's fascinating because Wednesday we came across several articles that people had written to be published on Wednesday that were all wrong. I mean, it reminded me of when Truman won. Now, I wasn't there at the time. I just read history. But it reminded me, remember uh, Truman holding up a newspaper saying uh, Dewey won. And uh, it was printed before all the polls were in and all the votes counted. And that that was kind of what happened this week. Now, Tuesday, I got to admit, I kind of had a feeling. And I dismissed it. I didn't really share it with anybody because I wasn't sure whether it was just hopeful thinking or whether it was truly a intuitive thought that he might actually win. I fully expected to get up Wednesday morning. I did not stay up and watch the polls. I'm not one of those people. I'm not that curious. But I firmly expected to get up Wednesday morning and see that Hillary Clinton was the president-elect. And it really, really surprised me that uh, when I turned on the news about 5 o'clock Wednesday morning, right there, Donald Trump is the president-elect. And uh, I remember thinking, well, that's a good thing, but now we got to go to work. Because I remember when the Tea Party was gaining strength, and we elected several people to the Senate and the House of Representatives from the Tea Party that ran on the Tea Party platform, and their first day in office, they forgot. They they just simply used the Tea Party ideology to get elected. They had no intention of backing it up because they might not get reelected. Now, I swear to you, I know that most of the politicians that got elected, with the exception of Donald Trump, I don't think he had this thought, but everybody else that got elected Tuesday, Wednesday morning, when their foot hit the floor getting out of bed, the first thought they had was, okay, what do I got to do? Where do I get the money? And what do I have to say to get reelected? I really don't think any of them thought anything about Okay, what do I have to do to fulfill my campaign promises? What do I do have to do to take care of the people who voted me in? What do I have to do to help America? 
I really, and I, and I don't want that to sound overly cynical. I think it's just reality. I think these people just want power. I think they just want to stay in office forever and ever and ever. Amen. And I, I think that's just the nature of the beast. Now, quite honestly, I don't think Trump is is that way. I don't think he's thinking, what does he have to do so he can get reelected in 2020? I don't think he's thinking that because he doesn't need this. He doesn't need to be president. I think he wanted to be president. I think it's a big ego thing. I, I think that he's very pleased with being president. But if he'd have lost, I think he'd be at his office today uh, working. I just, I, I don't think he'd be sulking anywhere. I, I think he'd just go back to work, doing what he does. This election will teach us a lot about pollsters, about the mainstream media. Both of those, with the exception of a few, were 100% wrong. 100% wrong. Now, the pundits, the columnists that came out on Wednesday and wrote columns about how wrong they were, I respect that. You know what? You screw up. You own the problem. Talk about it. Acknowledge it. Move on. You don't blame things. IBD, IBD TIPP poll nailed it again. This is the fourth election in a row where they've gotten it right. So next time around, the IBD poll will be the poll. Every other poll got it wrong. Now, I talked to a professional pollster uh, a week or so ago, and we talked about how these polls can get skewed, how building your list can get skewed and too many of these polls we're finding out now this last week they uh, overloaded the polls with democrats and the rationale was well more democrats vote so it's a better reflection of the marketplace for lack of a better term we find out no that's not the case this was a very interesting election in what people are expecting now we hear that white uneducated people carried the vote for Trump we hear that people didn't really understand that Hillary Clinton over campaigned in uh, areas that didn't really matter her message didn't get out that kind of stuff fact is I think it was a very good election we had record turnout for this country I hadn't seen this much enthusiasm for voting in a long time so i think that it lays some very important groundwork for the media for predictions and for pollsters going forward because we'll remember 2016 for a long time now it was no secret to you and i how the media wanted to skew people's thoughts and their opinions they wanted to skew it. They wanted to make Hillary a foregone conclusion. You'll notice the night of the election, she did call Trump and conceded, which I thought uh, classier than I thought she would be. So that's a class act. Her speech the next day on Wednesday was fairly classy. 
So I, I think she went out with style and professionalism. We'll see in the weeks ahead how the media, how the pundits, how everybody spins it and uh, what they attach to it as far as why we got the results we did. But that being said, she did not give a concession speech on Tuesday night. Why? She didn't have one prepared. It was a foregone conclusion. She was winning. And and I will respect the attitude that I'm not going to think about failure, so I'm not going to plan on it. But when it comes to politics and elections, you can never be sure of anything. Now, is it the angry vote? Is that is that it? The the people that voted for Trump are they angry? Is that why? So they didn't use rational judgment; they used raw emotion and anger. Maybe. I don't think so. People I've talked to, yes, they were angry with how the country's been growing, but not the kind of anger that people take actions and do them without thinking them through. I think this is more of a righteous anger where, you know what, I'm tired of being lied to. We've been lied to, lied to, lied to for years and years and years. Government's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and the debt has gotten larger and larger and larger. We got to do something or we won't be able to do anything. And I think that's what drove so many voters to the polls on Tuesday. Now, the question is, to me, will Trump be able to keep his promises? Will him and Pence go in there on the first day and start rescinding executive orders like they said they would? Will they start redoing our health care system and getting rid of Obamacare like they said they would? Remember the Tea Party people. They got in. They forgot what they said to get in. They forgot what they promised us, what they ran on. I want to see, and I think you and I need to be active in holding President Trump to his promises. Now, some things will take time. Immigration will take time. Working with other nations will take time. The tax code will take time. And I'm willing to wait that time. I'm willing to go with them. But they better start the process on day one. Better start the process because righteous anger isn't very patient either. I'm not going to be a patient person. I want what I want. And I want what they promised us. So we'll see. We'll see. We've got about 70 days left of Obama, 68 or something like that. And then President Trump is in. I'm anxious to see what they do on the first day. Not to mention the first hundred. Coming up next, Rich Galen. He's former press secretary of Dan Quayle and Newt Gingrich. He's worked in developing nations with the International Republican Institute and Legacy International. We'll talk to him next. 
An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Rich Galen. He's a former press secretary to Dan Quayle and Newt Gingrich, one of a select number of Americans who assisted in building a democratic political infrastructure during the dissolution of the Eastern Bloc communist governments, worked in developing nations with the International Republican Institute and Legacy International, and he continues to appear on and work with major news networks as well. You can find his writings at mullings.com, mullings.com. Rich, welcome to An Economy of One. Thank you, Gary. Nice to be with you. I appreciate it. I read, uh, read all your stuff quite often. And uh, I got I to I tell you, I got to respect a guy who uh, goes out there, puts himself out there, and admits he's wrong. And uh, Boy, was I ever. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed your last few columns because uh, I think you wrote one uh, a few days ago uh, about uh, batting a thousand, right? And uh, then you had to to uh, continue batting a thousand a couple days I had later. Double down on it, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> I, I tweeted that I I missed this like swinging at a slider in the dirt. Yeah. It was, but I'm not alone, and, and I I mean thank you for saying all that. But you know the, the it's it's interesting if you, if you go back and look at the numbers, mm-hmm. the, the the polling wasn't terrible. I mean, if, if, if a poll says that you're going to beat me in Ohio uh, by, you know, two percentage points and I end up beating you by a half a percentage point, that's really a, a nat, nat eyelash worth of difference. Yeah, the it's in the margin that, of error. You know. Yeah, but, 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 the, but the, the thing is that except for Nebraska and Maine, every state is winner take all. So I get all of the electoral votes mm-hmm. for that one and a half point difference. So when you, when you look at the numbers, the polling wasn't awful. What was awful was the, the result of when you said, okay, you're going to win, I'm going to win Florida and Pennsylvania and North Carolina, and you win all three, and suddenly I missed by, you know, 85 electoral votes. So. Right. That being said, in all seriousness, I mean, we've joked a little bit here, and you're very gracious on that, and I appreciate it, but how is this going to affect you and your thought process in 2018 and 2020 now? Well, I think every uh, – well, I can't, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I, what I will do is I will actually – Get out of. I'll, I'll get up from my desk. I'll, I'll either get in my car. Or I'll get on the airplane, uh, and I'll actually go out and uh, and talk to people and meet with people when we get back into the, you know, into the the campaign season. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but and really try to figure out what people are truly concerned about, and and more important than that, Kara, I'm gonna I'm as I do that, and I think everybody in my sort of position needs to do this, is to clear my mind and not go in with a preconceived notion and say, this is, this is what I believe is going to happen. And people who agree with me, I'm going to write about. People who don't, I'm just going to ignore, right. which is the trap so many, so many, so many fall into. In, in your article about, uh, or your column uh, uh, titled, That's Why They Hold Elections, you talk about having to send Mary Matlin 100 bucks, And, and yeah. I, I often comment to my wife, I can't imagine what Mary Matlin and James Carville talk about at the dinner table. I mean, uh, they, you know, they talk about the same thing. They used to be my backdoor neighbors. I mean, oh, okay. I literally could look out my window and look into their kitchen window. And we've all known each other for a long time. And one of the things about doing this professionally, as opposed to being, uh, you know, in Washington, where we all we've all known each other, we talk about the same thing everybody talks about: the kids, schools, right. you know, what, you know, who's, who they're going out with, 
Uh, if you get into, if you, we, it, I live in a townhouse community right on the Potomac River, and I used to tell people, and people said, "What, what is James like?" I said, "Well, you know, he's just like everybody." You know, but if you talk about parking, then somebody's butt's going in the river because that always. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but there's a, you know James James used to work out of his house and I used to work out of here years ago when his little girls were small and and my son was was off in college but yeah. but you know we'd, we'd be up at the Safeway looking at the romaine lettuce trying to decide between us whether that was better than the Boston lettuce. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> real real quick, we got about a minute or so left. Uh, do you think the results of this election? I mean, it's been an eye opener for a lot of us from the polling and the mainstream media and the different political leaders saying they're not going to support Trump. And, and now today, you know, they, they have to have somewhat of a spirit of cooperation. You think it's changed any of the tone, the politicians and the mainstream media and working with each other and moving forward? Or do you think that, that we're going to be poking each other in the eye for, for a long time yet? I, I, I'm, you know, if you're going to be in politics, you got to be an optimist. You got to believe you're going to figure out a way to win this thing. And, and I'm an optimist when it comes to that as well, Gary. I, I really do think that uh, that maybe that 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 era may have burned itself out. I, I certainly hope so. I mean, yeah. Donald Trump. I've been I've been a uh, Republican a lot longer than John, Donald Trump has been a Republican. Right. And I'm and he's you know Mike Pence, the, the incoming vice president, uh, was the Republican conference chair. I mean, he knows the House of Representatives mm-hmm. very well. He's going to be over in the Senate, uh, but he, you know, he knows he knows those people well enough to be able to kind of drift in and, and try to make a deal. Uh, and I think that's that's I hope uh, to the answer to your question is that we are better at this in the next four years than we've been at it for the last eight or twelve because okay. it's been really ugly. And and the Americans deserve better. I mean, they deserve if you're going to run for the for the for a legislature, uh, then you ought to legislate, not just obfuscate. Well, we deserve better, and and I think we're to the point where we're demanding better. Rich, first time we've met. I really appreciate all your time, and I hope that we get the chance to tap you on the shoulder again soon. I hope so too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. Coming up next, Lee Edwards from the Heritage Foundation is going to be joining us, and a little bit different take on Donald Trump being the president elect. I want to. Ask him a little bit about what we think he's going to do and what he can do as president when he gets in, because he made us a lot of promises. So we'll talk to him next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Lee Edwards. He's a distinguished fellow in conservative thought at the Heritage Foundation, the leading historian of American conservatism, and the author or editor of 25 books. His books include biographies of Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater, William F. Buckley Jr., and Edwin Meese III, as well as histories of the, of the uh, Heritage Foundation and the American conservative movement. He received his doctorate in world politics from Catholic University, as well as a Doctor of Humane Letters degree from Grove City College. His graduate work at the Sorbonne in Paris, and he holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from Duke University. Lee, welcome to An Economy of One. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. I appreciate uh, you joining us. I appreciate the work the Heritage Foundation does. I read a lot of uh, stuff on there. Um, you know, just uh, I'll, I'll throw you a hanging curveball. What do you think of yesterday? 
Um, but what happened yesterday? <laughs> Hillary retired from political service forever. You know. Yes, and uh, and Mr. Obama saw his legacy, uh, you know, discarded, uh, right. rejected, and uh, thrown out the window. So uh, that was not a good day for him. No, it, it really was. A, I think, you can put it this way, it was a tsunami, a political tsunami. Mm-hmm. Think about it, that the president was won by the Republicans, the House, the Senate, and the Republicans picked up three governors, so they now right. have a total of 33 Republican governors. That's that's really a rejection. And, uh, plus, of course, as I say, it was a rejection of both not only Hillary Clinton, but also Obama, who was out there begging people to vote for him, he said, if you really love my legacy. And then it was, I think, why did he win? And uh, there's been a lot of speculation about this. My own theory is that he was smart enough, and most of us here in D.C. were not, to tap into the Tea Party, and that uh, those people down at the, the, the grassroots who've been neglected, ignored, rejected, he came along and said, I'm listening to you, I'm going to give you voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason why he won all of those Rust Belt uh, states. It's, it was really remarkable. It's a cons- a wonderful opportunity now for conservatives like like us at Heritage to make contributions to provide ideas, proposals, and plans for a new administration. It takes me back to Ronald Reagan when we produced a, a mammoth mandate for leadership, which he used. So we think we're going to try to do the same thing for this new president-elect. You know, it's, it's uh, interesting to look at because I feel like we were reaching a tipping point, and uh, I, I sadly have to admit, I went to bed at 10 o'clock last night. I couldn't watch that uh, that stuff. And, and I was convinced Hillary was going to be the president-elect today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I talked to Rich Galen uh, earlier tonight, and he was convinced uh, uh, she was going to be. Everybody was convinced. Everybody believed the polls. Believe and, the polls. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yep. everybody but Donald Trump. Donald Trump said for months, the polls are wrong. They're wrong. And I don't know whether it was ego or really, really well, good insight. Well, you know, insight. I think he was helped along in his conclusion on that by his campaign director, Kellyanne, mm-hmm. yeah. who is just marvelous. She's, yeah. she's been a longtime member of the conservative movement, a smart lady, knows her stuff, and is a pollster. So she understands trends pretty well. And I think she probably helped to shore up his own instinct mm-hmm. that he was on to something. You know, now, what's, you know, you, you've done a lot in history, you, biographies of Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater. Um, what is the deal with someone like President Obama being concerned about his legacy? I mean, I'm not president. I never have been. Uh, when I'm dead and gone, if nobody in the universe remembers me, I got no problem with that. What, what, what is it with some of these politicians that that legacy is more important than what's best for the country? Well, I think it's ego. It's just plain and simple ego. And this is what put, very often draws them into politics, is what keeps them going. And uh, for someone particularly like, like uh, Mr. Obama, who once remarked that I'm, I'm the smartest guy in the room and I know more about polling and, and mm-hmm. PR and politics than anybody else here, uh, this was not surprising to me, although I think he certainly did more campaigning in those last couple of days than I've ever known any other president, sitting president, to do for a, uh, a successor, possible successor. 
Yeah. It's really almost uh, obsessive. <laughs> you know, I and I'm going to paraphrase this, so please, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I remember Ronald Reagan, uh, one of his writings, a letter or something he penned toward the end of his life, and he says, "As Nancy and I ride into the the sunset of our life, I'm content with history judging me for what I did and what I am." And yep. I, I think that is about yep. as humble as you can get. Yes, you know? and that's very typical. I, I had the privilege and, and honor of, of meeting him and interviewing him before he ran for governor of California back when he was just getting started into politics. And and then I interviewed him subsequently several times over the years when he was president. And he was the same all the way through. He was a very humble man, very secure in what he could do and what he couldn't do. He was really a, a remarkable human being, as well as being a remarkable president. Yeah. Now, what you know? Let's switch gears just a little bit while we got a few minutes left. Um, what what can uh, a president Trump do? I mean, he, he promised us on the campaign trail that first day in office, I'm going to sign an executive order rescinding all of President Obama's executive orders. Uh, Can he do stuff like that? I mean, I'm not a constitutional expert. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. But I I think he'll pick and choose. He won't do it for all of them. But one of the first things he's going to zero in on is is, uh, uh, the idea of uh, providing uh, special privileges uh, for uh, illegal immigrants. And I think so he'll do that. I think also he'll take a very uh, close bead on Obamacare. Uh, I think he'll try to figure out a way to let the vets know that he's going to do something for them. I think that's going to be a priority. I think also he's going to talk about secure borders and do something about them. There, There is a, a bill, I'm told, a pending, right, or not pending, it'll have to be reintroduced, but a bill in the House which builds a 700-mile fence, uh, mostly out of wire, mm-hmm. and uh, that that could get started. So with both a Republican House and a Republican Senate, he can do things, uh, which, of course, Mr. Obama could not do. And that's the reason why he resorted to those executive orders time and time and time again, more right. than any other president ever has. Now, one of the things that I, I was reading today, because to me, for the first time in my life, I'm 60, I voted in a lot of presidential elections. To me, this election was a one-issue election for me, and that was simply Supreme Court justice nominees. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Harry Reid... Uh, when he was in uh, leader of the Senate, put in place or got something through where uh, the the Senate could, by simple majority, vote on uh, uh, judges and stuff that the president recommended. Right. Um, and now we're we're in the seat. I mean, we're we're in, that's going to play to our advantage. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's I, I left that out. I don't know how I could because it was <laughs> it's an issue which is so, so important to so many voters. And I'm sure it was the reason why many turned out and voted. Uh, yes, he will submit a Supreme Court nomination very soon after consulting with the uh, leadership in both the House and the Senate. So they're, they're, that that will get well, just with the Senate, that will get very, very quick uh, handling by by him. And I think by the Senate, by Mitch McConnell. Now, you know, in the past, once again, I'm kind of a cynic. In the past, I've seen Republicans roll over. Uh, if Democrats start raising a fuss that, you know, the Constitution says it should be two-thirds, and, yeah, we did a majority before, but that was for other extraordinary reasons, and they want to move it back to uh two-thirds vote, you think the Republicans will 
we'll roll over and let that happen? Or? I think probably they're going to be pragmatic in this kind of situation, <laughs> yes. I, I'd like to hope so anyway, you know. But, I think so. Uh, that, that's such an important issue because we've got the oldest Supreme Court we've we've ever had, and Donald Trump, two terms, uh, he could nominate, what, two to maybe four Supreme well, Court Well, I justices. think even in this first term that you're going to see a couple of them finally going to, you know, give in to the rigors of old age and mm-hmm. poor health and so forth. So uh, at least, well, of course, the one pending right now, and I think at least one more and maybe two more. So that could make a tremendous difference for, you know, for years, years to come. Yeah, yeah, I, I figured it was it was the one issue that would affect me for the rest of my life. <clears throat> And uh, uh, and many said that, and I think that we'll find that when we take a look at the exit polls and why people voted the way they did, mm-hmm. I think that will be one which will be often mentioned. Now, I've asked this question to, to many of our guests. Do you think the mainstream media, do you think the, the elite leadership or elite whatever, I kind of hate that word, uh, but general, politicians in general, do you think anybody – has learned anything from this election? I mean, we don't trust the mainstream media, and those of us out here in flyover country, we just we just kind of proved it. Do you think that'll change anything? Well, one would hope so. I mean, and I'm an optimist. I'm a, I'm okay. a conservative who has lived and survived in Washington, D.C. all these years, so I'm an optimist, <laughs> and I would hope so. Uh, certainly the, the media just behaved in a more partisan way than I can ever recall in my lifetime. They're they're doing so far worse than even the way they handled poor old Barry Goldwater back in 1964. So I would hope the media would learn from that and try to scale back. But already I've seen articles in which they're sniping at him, setting up straw men about, well, he said this and he said that. How can he possibly govern as though, you know, candidates have not said one thing while campaigning and did something else when they were actually governing. Um, and I think that the uh, the elites are, are stunned right now. Uh, somebody said to me today that they're in a sort of a catatonic trance right now. Right. They can't believe that it really happened. So hopefully uh, with a Republican House and Senate and president, they'll get together, work together, and begin to do some good things for the, for the people, which is what they promised to do. I, I'm excited to see an entrepreneur and business owner, some somebody in that office that actually created a job in their lifetime, yep. actually yep. had I to meet so. payroll, had to borrow money and pay it back. And and, and I'm sure work with African-Americans yep. and Latinos and all kinds of people in, in building those buildings. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see. He, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people at just how good he is uh, as, a, as, a gov- as, a, as a president. Yeah, yeah I, I'm excited. Well, we've been speaking with Lee Edwards. He's a distinguished fellow and conservative thought at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Lee, this has been a real treat for me. It's the first time we've had the chance to talk. You guys are doing great work over there. And I've met a lot of your people at CPAC and and different different venues. And I really appreciate you taking a little time away from your your family and stuff this evening to to talk to us. And I hope we get the, the chance to chat again soon. Well, I hope so too. And uh, over over here, and if you, I'm going to be at CPAC at the next one. Hope to look forward to see you there. Well, we'll look you up. I'll be on Radio Row, so uh, we'll be there. I appreciate your time, Lee. Thanks you a lot. You take good care. Have a good evening. An economy of one with Gary Rathbun.
back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. The other thing that I think it's important to look at, important thing to remember from last Tuesday's election, and that is, let us not forget the lame duck. Let us not forget that President Obama is very, very concerned about his legacy, very concerned about his signature programs. He is the antithesis of Donald Trump. Donald Trump campaigned on undoing everything that can be undone that Obama has done the last eight years. He promised us on day one that he would sign an executive order eliminating all of President Obama's executive orders. Well, let's see. Got about 20 of them so far. And let's see if he undoes those executive orders. Now, President Obama's got 60, 68 days left in the office, and people around him say he's got a lot of unfinished work to do. Well, that makes me nervous. That that bothers me a little bit. What what kind of unfinished work does he have, and what's he going to do? My speculation is that he is going to put out a ton of executive orders. He'll probably have a bunch of pardons, have some midnight regulations put out there. He's been doing things by uh, memo and direction to different uh, regulatory bodies like the EPA and the Department of Labor and Department of Justice, that kind of stuff. So I expect him to do as much as he can to preserve a positive legacy for himself and make it as difficult as he can for Republicans and Donald Trump to do about anything. So he's going to throw as many wrenches in the gears as he can in his last few weeks in office. At least that's what I expect. The pardons, who's he going to pardon? Well, you know, Huma and Wiener, he'll probably pardon if they have something to pardon, if there's convictions there or or indictments. Will he pardon Hillary? I don't know. I don't know if he needs to. She hasn't been indicted on anything. Will the President Trump go after Hillary and her foundation and the State Department and Benghazi and the emails and all that? I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a certain segment of the population that wants all that cleaned up, that wants to see justice, wants to see the Clintons get their comeuppance. But I don't know. I don't know if he, he will do that. Will he appoint special prosecutors to go after? Maybe. I don't think he wants to appear vengeful, but yet he campaigned on that. We elected him on that. We want things cleaned up. We want the swamp drained, to quote him. Well, to drain the swamp, you got to clean up all the injustices. And we're tired of this. We're tired of people thinking they're above the law and actually people being above the law. I'd like to see the Clinton Foundation go to zero and all that money they've raised actually go to some charity or something. 
I don't want them living the rest of their lives in a lap of luxury because of foreign money and donations going into that foundation. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. I want it gone. What can you and I do? Well, I'm not going to buy any more of their books, not that I did anyway. Not going to go to any of their speeches, which I didn't go to anyway. But even President Obama, I'm not going to buy his books, and I'm not going to go to his speeches. I'm not going to support the companies that pay them millions of dollars to write those books and make the speeches. My own little way of, of protesting all of this. I want that ideology to fade from the American psyche. I want it gone. I don't want it weakened for four years or eight years. I want it gone, 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 forever. I want to hear about it. Now, that won't happen. I know that. But it's nice to think about. But it concerns me greatly what a person like President Obama will do in his last few weeks in office. Concerns me greatly. The pardons, eh, you know, I'm kind of on the bubble on the pardons, unless it is Hillary or or some of these big, big things out there, Lois Lerner, uh, that kind of stuff. The midnight regulations, uh, yeah, that bothers me a lot because we don't see them. They don't go through the normal vetting process. We don't get to to see them and... and uh, talk about them and and that kind of stuff beforehand. The executive orders, that kind of bothers me. But if Donald Trump keeps his promises, then it doesn't bother me so much. He can sign an executive order and President Trump can get rid of that executive order on January 20th with a stroke of a pen. Proof will be in the pudding whether he does that or not. But you're going to see over the next... Six, seven weeks of President Obama on steroids when it comes to flexing his individual power. He's going to do everything he can to go out with a bang, and he's going to do everything he can to screw up Congress and make it hard for Trump and Pence coming in. Now, we'll talk about it here. We'll keep an eye on it. But mark my words, it's going to happen. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.